Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 24, verses 23 through 25. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality and judgment. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse. Nations will abhor him, but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. We are all judges. This is a fact that we must accept. It is a fact because we all hold positions that come with the responsibility to judge. We are parents, teachers, or leaders in our place of employment. And in these roles, we are faced daily with situations in which we must judge. The wisdom given to us in these verses is to judge fairly, and specifically not to be partial toward the wicked. In all judgments, we must recognize and call sin, sin. And we must do this regardless of who the people are that we are judging. Matthew Henry put it this way, a good judge will know the truth and not know faces. This is important because people recognize bias. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse, nations will abhor him. God has given mankind a sense of right and wrong, and no matter how distorted that sense has become, people remain keenly aware of unfairness. As a result, other people, even children, will be able to recognize our judgments as being unfair. A parent or teacher or leader who is partial, especially toward those who are guilty of wrongdoing, cannot be trusted, and soon he or she will be despised. Those who are under their leadership will turn from them, and entire families, churches, and communities can be brought to ruin. Now it may seem obvious that we should never be partial toward the wicked, but if we were not prone to such a foolish thing as partiality and judgment, then Solomon would have never spoken this proverb. So we, so we should consider for a moment the things that could cause us to show partiality. First is fear, specifically fear of man. We may ignore a person's sin and even go as far as excusing it for fear of their retribution for calling them out. Even parents can be affected by such fear and will not address their child's sin because they are afraid of their potential reaction, temper tantrums, for example. Selfishness may hinder impartiality. Many times a person who is in sin who needs to be confronted is of great benefit to us. He or she may be our most productive employee, the most talented player on the team, the biggest tither in the congregation. To deal with that person's sin would potentially lead to losing them, and so we overlook the sin. Sometimes we fail to be impartial because we are fooled by outward appearances. We assume that good on the outside equals good on the inside, and our judgment is clouded by the nice appearance and good behavior of a person. Too often we are good at putting on a show, a smokescreen for our sin, and too often we are fooled by the smokescreens of others. So what are we to do? Well, to judge fairly and righteously requires that we first submit ourselves to God's judgment. We must be humble, recognize our own sin, and daily be repenting of it. Jesus taught us that we have to remove the plank from our own eye before we can correctly see and remove the speck from our brother's eye. Judging must also be done through the lens of God's word, when we are a student of God's word, we are able to recognize sin and deal with it, no matter who is committing it. Lastly, judging has to be motivated by love. Love for God, so that we uphold his character in all things, including judging. 
and love for our brother so that we judge fairly for the sake of maintaining peace and purity and restoring our brother to godliness judging in humility and love brings blessing verse twenty five says but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them when the wicked are rebuked when sinners are confronted they will either depart or be motivated unto repentance as a result wickedness will cease and righteousness will flourish and people under the leadership of such impartial judges will thrive this proverb reminds us of our need to confess our sins so if you are willing and able please kneel with me as we confess our sins to God uncomfortable and hard to evade passages in all of scripture I'm convinced of that and the reason I'm convinced of that is because this passage is so often neglected not only in sermons and in preaching but in our day-to-day -day lives I've had conversations with fellow pastors who when I bring up the content of our Lord's instructions to us for dealing with sin in our own lives and the lives of one another their eyes bug out of their heads practically. And I had actually had one fellow say to me, you actually can get away with that in your church. Said, well, yes, get away with it. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it. But this is as neglected as this passage is. Uh, it is also one of the most important teachings when it comes to how we live together as a church. And that's why we're gonna spend some time here this morning because we need to know how to deal with sin in one another really we need to know how to discipline one another according to the word of god we need discipline the reformers had three marks of a true church and these are the things that separated a true church from a false church right you had the right preaching of the gospel right that was one of them the other was the right administration of the sacraments right and the, and the other one, the, the third one, was the discipline of the church. Church discipline is actually practiced. And they didn't just mean excommunication, which is like the, the end of the road when it comes to church discipline. They meant the very things the Lord is discussing here. Are the members of the church going to one another when they are in sin and dealing with one another? That's a mark of a true church. So if you want to be a true church, at least according to the reformers, and I think they were right, then this is not a passage we can afford to neglect. This is something we must take great, uh, be very intentional about obeying with one another. And we need it. I need it. You know that I'm still a sinner, and I tell my congregation this all the time. I say, yes, I'm an elder and I'm a pastor, but I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus. I'm a sinner, too. And that means you might need to confront me and probably will need to confront me at one time or another. And it's important to know how to do that and why we do it. Let's see now what Jesus says to us here. I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. Please listen carefully. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Now this morning, I'm not going to get into the, uh, the technicalities of how church discipline is to be fleshed out. I want to get at the why, the purpose behind it, the necessity of it. So I'm not going to walk through the steps step by step. I'm just going to get at the foundation, why it is necessary for us as a church to do these things. Now in verse 15 our Lord says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now let me make one observation right off the bat. It's an important one and it's a simple one. That is not a suggestion. <laughs> you understand? This is not a suggestion our Lord is giving to us. It is a command. If your brother sins against you, you are to go to him. You are to go to him. Now listen, I want to say something right off the bat. It is possible and permissible at times to overlook minor offenses. All right? Paul tells us in Colossians 3 that we are to bear with one another. And what's a minor offense? We'll say we're having a conversation and you interrupt me or cut me off in the middle of the conversation. Do I have to go to you afterward and say, brother, you sinned, you cut me off, you interrupted me? Well, maybe depending on the circumstances, but it is at times with minor offenses, it's permissible to overlook that, overlook those minor offenses, all right? But that don't take that as a license to, to call everything a minor offense, right? You see what I'm saying? Everything's a minor offense. I can overlook everything. But what our Lord is telling us here is not a suggestion. Confronting sin in one another is not an option of the Christian life, it is a necessity of the Christian life. A necessity. Why do we treat it as if it were optional? Well, I think that Cameron really touched on a lot of those reasons during our time, his teaching during our time of confession. The reason why we neglect these instructions from our Lord is because it's hard. It's very hard what he calls us to do here. And the reason why it is hard is because folks like me and like you Tend, not, tend to not respond well to having their sin pointed out. Do you enjoy it when someone points out sin or weakness in you? Even when they do it with all the love in the world. And they're looking at you and they say, brother, I love you, but... And then that's when you cringe and say, oh no, he loves me, but there's a but in there, right? So there's a problem. It's never pleasant to have your sin dealt with because we are so easily offended. We are so easily offended. It's amazing how highly we think of ourselves without realizing how highly we think of ourselves. And you know how I know we think highly of ourselves? Because we're offended so often when our sin is confronted. We're offended because we don't want to think of ourselves as being sinful. We want to think of ourselves as being generally good and decent folks. And it's offensive when someone interrupts that facade or does anything to eat away at it. So in order to avoid risking getting someone mad at us or offending someone, we tend, we are tempted to just gloss sin over by excusing it or by ignoring it altogether. And this is especially easy to do with those who we are close to, such as our family, as our, our friends, or, or our pastors. Who wants to confront a pastor? Hmm? That's, that's not easy to do. And you know, Cameron, what you said earlier about struggling with confronting families and children, that resonated with me, brother. 
Because as a pastor, one of the stickiest situations you run into is when a family in the church has an older child, we'll say young adult, who's wrapped up in sin and is rebellious. Parents become so confused, and I understand the confusion. They are so tempted to defend their child from the, from the shepherds and from the church. And they think it's that role. And they go on into a defensive posture because they think they're doing their child a favor by, by defending them from the discipline of the church. And it can be a very confusing thing for parents to sort through and for pastors to sort through. So we all struggle with this. Matter, and you know, we better struggle with confronting sin in one another. Because if you enjoy confronting sin in others, if you find it to be something you look forward to, then you have a problem. <laughs> Okay. That's called fault finding, I think. And that's sin as well. So you shouldn't, if you notice a sin in a brother, you shouldn't be rubbing your hands together the night before and say, oh boy, I'm going to humble that guy tomorrow. I'm going to let him have it. And he needs to be brought down a notch. And I'm going to make sure I'm the one who does it. Right? So no, none of us are good at this and none of us are look, look forward to it. And that's what tells us it's an act of service. It is an act of service to confront sin in one another because it's hard. It's hard. Now, I think one of the reasons we talk ourselves out of confronting sin is because we've been infected by the thinking of popular culture. You know, it's in the air we breathe and it gets into our heads and our hearts and, and our manner of living without us even recognizing it because we're people, we're, we're creatures of culture. And when you live in a culture and you're immersed in it, it has an impact on you. And I think that's one of the reasons why we tend to avoid confronting sin in one another. Because we have, I think, unconsciously or unwittingly fallen for the lie that offending people is always unloving. Right? Isn't that one of the mantras of our culture today? Thou shalt not offend under any circumstances. Never tell anyone they're wrong. That's the mantra of being politically correct. And so we convince ourselves that confronting sin is unloving because it is most certainly offensive. And as an aside, we, we certainly must not be offensive in our manner of confronting sin. But honestly, what we can do it, we must be loving as we confront sin with one another, but there are only so many ways to say, Brother, you sinned and you need to repent, right? There are so, so, only so many ways to do that. You need to remember that. So often, I have heard as a pastor, and I have been guilty of saying to those who have confronted me for my sin, well, I wish you would have handled that better. I wish you would have said it, said it differently, and so on and so forth. Don't, don't do that, okay? If someone confronts sin in you, of course they could have handled it better. There's always a better way to do something. So there's no perfect way of doing this, and there's no way that to confront sin in one another that isn't going to be offensive ultimately, because it hurts our pride, it offends our pride. So remember that. So the first thing we have to deal with is that idea that offending people is always unloving. Because loving people does not mean never offending them. Loving people does not mean never offending them. Our Lord defines what love is, and he teaches us that loving people often demands that we risk offending them. All right? Uh, that's worth writing down, maybe. Loving people means 
being willing to war, uh, risk offending them. Love risks. Notice, when there is sin, love does not gloss it over. Love goes and tells your brother his fault. That's what love does. And this is driven by love for your brother. Our Lord points that out to us here. Notice what Jesus says. The reason you go to your brother is so that he will listen to you. And the reason you're going to him is because you want to do what? Drive him away? Estrange him? No, you want to gain him. Which is to say you do not want to lose him to his sin. It means that you are willing to fight for your brother. You're willing to offend him because you love him. It is your love for him, your desire to gain him, to keep him in the church, to protect him from his own sin that drives you to deal with him. You want to gain your brother. That's the motivation. And the thing we have to remember is that confronting one another's sin is following our Lord's example of love for us. You know, we, we are celebrating the Advent season right now, and that reminds me of what the angel said in Matthew 1:18. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he shall save his people from their sins. Do you realize that Jesus came to confront sin? That's what he was doing when he came here. From his birth, his name was Jesus. He came to deal with our sin and save us from it. To his ministry, what did he call people to do as he was traveling about Galilee and Palestine? Repent! Repent! Go and sin no more. Up until the point of his death upon the cross, where he truly and finally, once and for all, dealt with our sin. So our Lord's ministry here on earth was all about confronting our sin. This is why he was crucified. We'll get to that again in a little bit. He was crucified because he confronted our sin. We rejected him. But realize this, though Jesus was crucified for confronting our sin, that's why he was crucified. That did not prevent him from coming to us, did it? He knew the what the consequences would be for coming up and, and coming to earth and confronting the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the Jews and saying, you are in sin. You need to repent. He knew that they would crucify him for it, but that did not stop him. Now, it is our fear of rejection that often keeps us from confronting sin and others. We're afraid that we will be crucified when we confront sin and our brothers and sisters. Not literally, but figuratively. That they will reject us. That they'll put us outside of the camp. That they'll curse us and have nothing more to do with us. Right? That's what we're afraid of being crucified. And the fact of the matter is that's always a possibility. I'm a sinner and if you come and confront me, I might crucify you for it. I hope I wouldn't, by God's grace. But it might happen. But you can't let that stop you, do you understand? And the reason why you can't let that possibility of crucifixion stop you from confronting sin and your brother or your sister is because it didn't stop Jesus from confronting our sin. He did it anyway. He still said repent. He promised forgiveness as well, which we do. But it didn't stop him and it must not stop us. You must not allow fear of rejection to prevent you from confronting sin in your brother or sister. Listen, there's something I think that we need to really grasp. And it's, I, I think it's a hard thing to say. 
My notes say it's a hard thing to say. I'll let you determine whether or not it's a hard thing. But we need to understand is that ignoring sin in your family or in your church is not love. We call it that. It's, it's so easy to redefine it as love. And we think it's loving to not confront sin because then we're, we're not risking the relationship. We're not driving anyone away. We think that's the loving thing to do. We don't want to estrange anyone. And by not discussing their sin and not confronting their sin, we're being loving because we're keeping them near us rather than driving them off. But what we've got to understand, we have to redefine that in our heads. The failure or refusal to confront sin is not love, really. It is self-love. It is selfishness. Alright? The refusal to confront sin is selfishness. Don't call it love. Don't call it tolerance. Do you know what it is? Here's, yes, this is why it's hard. <laughs> it is cowardice. It is selfishness. It is hatred to not confront sin and a brother or sister. It is you protecting your own comfort at the expense of your brother's soul. That's what it is to refuse to confront sin and a brother or sister. Consider... You can't follow Jesus and ignore sin in your brothers at the same time. You have to be willing to do the hard work of confrontation out of love for your brother. You have to be. He might crucify you, but that can't stop you. So if you hold something against another believer, what does that mean? It means you have to go to him as soon as possible. You can't let it wait. It's not an option. And understand that that is the difference between true faith and hypocrisy. Are you actually following Jesus? Well, if you love him, you keep his commandments. One of his commandments is if your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fault. Are you willing to do that or are you just playing games with Jesus? Or are you actually going to do what he calls you to do? Understand, this is the kind of stuff that will tear a church apart. It'll tear a church apart. You don't, Not confronting sin, the refusal to do so. You see, you know what the devil does when Christians won't confront sin with among one another is it, it leads to bitterness there's no reconciliation never takes place and so you have all these bitter feelings all this unforgiveness and hardness of heart that builds up over time and it forms fractures within the foundation of a body of believers and then the enemy all he has to do is come and cause uh, some sort of trouble and it will all fall apart I heard recently within the last year of a church near us that had a division occur because they couldn't agree upon what kind of thermostat to put in the building. The thermostat. Really? Yes. I know the pastor. He told me. He told me. Now, did the, did the division really happen because of the thermostat? No. Absolutely not. Do you know why it happened? It happened because these things were not done. These things were not done. Bitterness had been permitted to gain a foothold. Unforgiveness had grown into a massive tumor in the life of that body. And then something small happens and poof, it comes apart. Because reconciliation has not been taking place. Sin has not been, had been, had not been dealt with. Now, let me say this to you also uh, in regard to how we confront sin in one another. We have to be, absolutely must be ever vigilant and guarding the motive 
or motives of our hearts when confronting sin and others. What do, we, what do you have to do before you go to our brother or sister to confront sin in them? Do you know what you must do? Matthew chapter 7, verses 4 through 5, you must first do what? Remove the plank from your own eye and crucify all self-righteousness with your own heart. You have to look at Christ crucified and remember, I need him because I'm a sinner as well. Lost apart from him and the grace of God given to me in Christ. You must absolutely confront your own sin. And the reason why you have to meditate and think upon Christ crucified before you go and confront a brother is because in contemplating Christ crucified, you are confronted with two truths that will humble your proud heart and prepare you to deal with sin in others. And really, you should do preparatory work in your own heart before you go and confront sin in a brother or sister. You really should. Here's what Christ crucified reveals to us. First, we are reminded that we are sinners as well who need the blood of Christ as much as the person we're confronting. So dealing with sin is no occasion for self-adulation, right? That's important to remember because you know what my temptation is? Even as a pastor when I'm dealing with a brother who's caught up in a sin. To say, well, in my heart I'm patting myself on the back saying, I'm, I don't do that. I'm not doing what he's doing, right? I glorify myself. I exalt myself. And your heart will do it too. Don't doubt it. Don't trust your heart for a minute. Saints, Jeremiah 17, 9, it's deceptive above all things, and sick, desperately sick, who can know its ways? Humble your heart before you confront sin, or it will exalt itself. So look to Christ, be reminded of your desperate need for his blood. Be reminded that you are no better than the brother or sister whom you are confronting, because you need the crucified Messiah as much as they do. Second, in Christ crucified, we are reminded that Jesus did not die for us in order to show us how much better he is than us. That was not his point in dying. He was not playing the peacock upon the cross. It was his selfless love for us that moved him to endure that accursed tree as our wrath-bearing substitute. And it has to be the same selfless love that drives us to confront sin in one another. Love for the sinner must be your motivation. Otherwise, you are not qualified to confront sin in others. And I would strongly exhort you to pursue that love before you ever confront sin in a brother or sister. Ensure that you love them. Ensure that you have prayed for them. That you have done this preparatory work in your own heart. That your heart is breaking over their sin. That you're not driven by anger or self-righteousness or have some sense of superiority, but a brokenness, a soft-heartedness, a love for that brother and sister, an earnest desire to gain him and to be restored to fellowship with him. Remove the plank from your own eye first. That you must do in order to be qualified to confront sin in another Christian. Now I want to talk about the other side of the coin, and that is how to respond when you are confronted. This is crucial. 
It's crucial to know how we ought to respond. And you have to think about it ahead of time. You really do. You have to say to yourself, self, if I, not if, when I have sin, if, what's Nate think of himself? <laughs> self, when I, when I have sin confronted in me, this is how I'm going to respond. Because trust me, if you wait until the heat of the moment to think about how should I respond right now, you're not going to do well. Because you're a sinful creature as much as I am and your pride is going to well up within you and you're probably going to sin. There's a great probability you will sin instead of respond with true humility. So we need to think about these things ahead of time so we can head off the flesh and be a step ahead of it. Now our knee-jerk response is often to be offended and to become defensive. You know what I'm talking about, the oh yeah, what about you <laughs> response, right? But recognize this, how you respond to the confrontation of sin in your life reveals something about you. And what it reveals about you is whether or not you are actually a Christian who knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how important it is to respond appropriately to the confrontation of sin. Look at verse 17. Those who refuse to listen to their brothers are to be treated as what? Unbelievers, Gentiles, those who are outside of the covenant. That's how they are to be treated, right? So yes, how you respond to the confrontation of your sin is determinative in terms of revealing, are you in the covenant? Do you know Christ or are you outside? Are you a stranger to him? What Jesus is talking about here in verse 17 is excommunication. So you have to be humble. You must be teachable. You must be open to correction. And if you are not open to correction, if you are defensive, then scripture is clear you are a fool. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, I'm going to say here, this is, this is from Scripture. This is not Nate's translation. Whoever hates reproof is stupid. This is the word of God from Proverbs 12, 1. Now let me also tell you something else. Understand that when a brother or sister comes to you and confronts sin in you, remember the sacrifice they are making in doing that to come to you. I can tell you as a pastor, when I had to have a hard discussion with someone, the night before that discussion takes place, myself and our other elders, we suffer over that. We suffer. We spend maybe a sleepless night before we go and have that discussion. Because we're concerned. We're praying. We're concerned about how the person is going to respond. We're concerned about the motives of our own hearts. It's not an easy thing to do. It wears you out. It can exhaust you, actually. And remember that. When someone confronts you in love, remember, be mindful of the sacrifice they're making. Recall that they probably spent a night or a sleepless night or two, maybe, praying about this, being concerned about it, wondering how you're going to respond that they're not taking it lightly. And in remembering that, be filled with love for that brother or sister who is serving you by obeying Jesus and coming to you. Thank God for that, for that brother or sister. Thank God for their love for you and their willingness to do that for you. 
Now, of course, sometimes we get it wrong with one another and we see sin where there is no sin. And that's why there's a need for witnesses and so on and so forth. So it is appropriate if you think you've been confronted and you don't agree if there is no sin where there is an accusation of sin, then that's something that can be dealt with appropriately following the steps the Lord has given us here. Just remember to respond graciously and with humility and not defensively. Respond with love. Now finally, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 13, we see very clearly we are taught how we are to respond to discipline. What does it mean when, the, when you are disciplined by your brothers and sisters of the church? What is God saying about you? How is he treating you? He is treating you as his son or as his daughter, isn't he? Right? He doesn't discipline those who do not belong to him. He disciplines those who are his own. That has to stay at the forefront of our minds as we confront sin in one another. That this is God treating me as his son, as his daughter, loving me and caring for me through my brothers and sisters. So when you are confronted, not if, but when you are confronted, the right response is to give thanks to God. To thank God for his love and his discipline of you and to thank God for his brothers and sisters who love you enough to deal with you according to the word of God. That's the right response. It won't be the response your heart wants to give, probably. It'll have to be something that you're intentional about. But gratitude unto God is the only appropriate response to the discipline he gives us through his church. So now let me make it as personal as I possibly can and ask you, how do you respond to correction? Think about that for a moment. How many times has another brother or sister come to you and confronted sin in your life? And how have you responded when that has taken place? Have you responded with humility and love and gratitude or have you responded with defensiveness? And now think about how you are going to respond in the future when it happens. Because it will. Husbands and wives, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if anyone's confronting sin in me, from week to week, who is it? It's my wife. Husbands, you can hopefully identify with that. Wives, you as well with your husbands, because we live together. Let me also say this to you. Parents, I hope that you are following these principles with your children as well. A number of times I have heard from children who have Christian parents who, who have told me what a big difference it made when dad would humble himself before his kids and say, children, I sinned against you. When I raised my voice, when I shouted at you because you weren't picking up your room like I told you to, that was a sin. Please forgive me. Dad, be sure you're giving your family that example. Right? And if your wife has to confront you, make sure you're responding in humility to her. So this is what I will say in closing, saints. What I've outlined for you here briefly this morning is what every church needs. It's what every family needs. This is crucial to our unity. So let's be a true church, saints, and let's practice discipline as our Lord has taught us in our marriages, in our homes, and within our congregations. Amen? Let's pray.
as we come to the Lord's table by God's grace through Christ this morning, we need to be reminded by these elements which point us to Christ crucified that when we have our sin confronted, we need not fear. We need not fear of having our sin exposed and dealt with. And the reason why we need not fear is because through Christ, there is no more judgment. There is instead forgiveness, which these elements remind us of that. That through the broken body and shed blood of Christ, he has made a once and for all, all sufficient atonement for our sins. So that our every sin will be totally and freely forgiven through his shed blood. And that means as we have sin dealt with in our lives, we can welcome that, that confrontation, that discipline with joy and with gladness because of what Christ has accomplished for us. Amen. This table is for all who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.